Welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories. Today's story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri, the Canberra region, for Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne, Nam, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Today, Earth Matters will explore the recent historic ruling of the Queensland Court which recommended against the approval of Clive Palmer's proposed Waratah coal mine. Here's Janet Salisbury from the Women's Climate Congress who drew the speakers for this conversation together. I would like to welcome everyone to our first Women's Climate Conversation for 2003. I invite you to just take a moment to transition from your busy day fully into this space, taking a few deep breaths to centre yourself and connect with all the women and men here online. And imagine ourselves as a beautiful chain of care for the earth stretching all around Australia and the world. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm joining from the unceded Ngunnawal and Ngambri country here in Canberra. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and to all elders from around Australia and indeed from around the world. And I particularly welcome all the First Nations people who are on this call today. First, I'm just going to introduce our purposes here briefly and introduce our guests to you. These conversations create a space for openness among women to explore feminist perspectives on climate change and to build community around women's voices and leadership. This year, we're particularly framing our conversations around our Women's Climate Congress Charter for Change. The Charter is a call for action from the hearts of women in all our diversity to urgently secure the climate and build ongoing human and planetary well-being. To this end, we urge collaboration and cooperation in governance to build inclusive and fair and united policy approaches. And there is a lot of relevance in our charter for the conversation we're going to have tonight, and I hope maybe I can come back to it a little bit. The link to the charter, which is on our website, go and look at it there. In this online conversation, we're going to explore the recent historic ruling of the Queensland Land Court, who recommended against approval of Clive Palmer's proposed Waratah coal mine, a new mega thermal coal mine that was proposed to be built on the Bimblebox Nature Reserve, a pristine sanctuary of about 8,000 hectares on Wongon and Jagalingu country in the Galilee Basin. And the basis of the recommendation against the mine was that it would contribute to climate change impacts, which would limit the right to life, the cultural rights of First Nations people, and the rights of children, the rights of property and privacy and home, and the right to enjoy human rights equally. So as I mentioned, we've got four wonderful conversationalists with us today, and I'm just going to briefly introduce you. Their full bios is on our website. We've got Lala Gutchen, who we're very excited, is joining us from her home, her ancestral homeland on Arab Island in Zenad Keth, that is the Torres Strait, and she is an Arab Merum woman from that island. So it's a huge privilege to have you with us tonight. Lala, and Lala was one of the witnesses in the case against the Waratah mine, 
and in a historic first gave evidence on country in accordance with her traditional protocols. And we're going to hear more about that as we go along. Patricia Julien is the secretary for the Bimble Box Alliance and was part of the legal communications team for the Alliance with the Environmental Defenders Office. And I'll introduce that in a minute. She has a background in physical geography and microbiology and rangeland, hydrology and ecology. So she was very well qualified to be involved in the environmental impacts on that um, country. And she'll be talking more about that as we go along. And again, we're very, very privileged to have with us Marawa Johnson, who is a wordy woman from Wangan and Jagalingu country. And she is the co-director and First Nations program lead at Youth Verdict, who were the other group who brought the case against the mine on behalf of many young people in Queensland. And she's also a spokesperson of the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners, Family Council, and she's well known both in the UN and around the world for her long-standing work uh, with First Nations self-determination and justice. So again, it's a huge privilege to have Mara here tonight. And finally, Alison Rose, who is also a Women's Climate Congress Steering Circle member, is a senior solicitor within the Safe Climate, Coal and Human Rights team working with the Environmental Defenders Office. And she was the lead solicitor for the Waratah coal mine case. Uh, so it's fabulous to have you with us, Alison. Thanks very much, Janet. This was a huge case. <laughs> Incredible from many different perspectives. The Environmental Defenders Office started looking at the Galilee Basin, I guess, first about eight years ago, maybe even longer than that. But obviously sort of coming in quite late to the piece compared to the Wangan and Jagalingu people who have been protecting the area for uh, since time immemorial. And in developing, I guess, in looking at this case, um, one of the key things was that so the, the, the Galilee Basin is a huge area, a huge coal deposit in central Queensland near Emerald and Alpha. This particular mine was proposed by Clive Palmer, everyone's favourite Queenslander. <laughs> and it's, you know, part of a very large area of the Galilee Basin. And the mine was proposed, the, the coal mine was proposed to mine about 40 million tonnes of thermal coal per annum, commencing from about 2025 originally, and then running until about 2050. So obviously at a time when we really can't afford to be mining coal. And it was also proposed on Wangan and Jagalingu country, but on an area that has been um, maintained as a nature refuge, the Bimblebox Nature Refuge, for about 20 years. So it's a really important, culturally significant area and also a really important and significant area for biodiversity conservation as well. And the Bimblebox Nature Refuge, if you've ever had a, the pleasure of going out there, is quite beautiful and as is, you know, the whole of Wangan and Jagalingu country, it's beautiful desert country and, you know, and home to many different species of animals and plants. And the Bimble Box Nature Refuge itself is particularly um, important. And, and I'd love Patricia to sort of speak to that a little bit more as well. Tonight, I think it would be really great because it's, it's such a huge case. It's really difficult to cover everything. But I think the significant aspect of the way that the case was developed and also the ultimate judgment was in the way that the people who are protecting 
Queensland and the environment and for everyone were and the way that human rights were sort of raised in the case and treated in the judgment really significant. Queensland has only had a Human Rights Act since 2019 and this was one of the very first cases that tested the uh, application of the Human Rights Act. And originally we were looking at different sorts of legal arguments that could be raised to um, try and look at how we could protect, you know, against coal mining, the impacts of climate change and raise those important issues in the land court within a human rights frame. So looking at the impacts of climate change on the rights of children, of young people, and in particular the cultural rights of First Nations people. And very early on in the case design, Marawa was instrumental in working and looking at how to develop and frame the case as a First Nations first case. And also Lala in the way that Lala presented her evidence. And we, you know, worked very hard early on in sort of designing the case to really present important um, First Nations evidence um, on the scientific, like the, the, the evidence about climate impacts on country. And, and we discussed really how to, how to present that evidence to the court so that the court could really understand um, and hear about the impacts firsthand from the people most qualified to describe those impacts and, and explain them, I guess, and the, the intricate network of all of those impacts and what is actually going on out here, um, yeah, not just on one particular country but on all different sorts of countries in, in Queensland in particular because that's the jurisdiction we're working in. So I guess I'd at the, where we're at at this point is that we won the decision, the decision was successful, so we were we um, succeeded in getting a recommendation for refusal. That recommendation then now goes to the minister for consideration on the mining lease and all the, also the environmental authority, whether or not they, those things will be granted. In every case so far, the minister for resources and the Department of Environment have followed the land court's recommendation. So we don't expect them to depart from it, but it is a separate decision and they have to also exercise their independent decision-making capacity in making that decision. There was an appeal in the Supreme Court of the Land Court's decision. However, that was actually um, discontinued a week and a half ago, much to our excitement and joy. Um, and, you know, we can only take from that that Clive Palmer was terrified of our arguments and didn't want to take us on again. Um, but it, you know, it's a really significant case, I think, from the perspective of like the amount of incredible science that was presented in the case on biodiversity offsets, on impacts on, you know, on country, on climate impacts from First Nations people that was very deep and significant evidence. There was also Western scientists that gave evidence as well. And that really supported the First Nations evidence in lots of ways. And yeah, it was connected. And uh I think the other significant aspect was that um, along the way, there were a number of different quite groundbreaking decisions. So first of all, Waratah tried to apply to strike out the human rights grounds and was unsuccessful. The land court decided that it was a public entity and was required to comply with the Human Rights Act and to make its decisions in accordance with the Human Rights Act. That then included taking on country evidence and, and taking evidence in a way that accorded with 
the first law protocols of the people giving evidence in the case. So that sort of thread was really consistent throughout. And those judgments were also incredibly significant in terms of procedural gains in Queensland in the jurisdiction here. One of the fantastic things about the Queensland jurisdiction is that any person can challenge a thermal coal mine application by objecting to it in the land court. And those objections then have to be heard as a merits review where evidence can be led and a decision made about the actual impacts of the case. That's unusual. No other jurisdiction does that. And then we also have a Human Rights Act. So it's a really neat and very helpful framing for running these really important cases. And we think that, you know, while not binding precedent, because it's a land court judgment, so it's a lower court, it is likely to be the sort of judgment that will make it difficult for future coal mines to get approval because those legal principles will stand. So that's sort of like, I guess, the legal boring wrap up. (laughs) Alison Rose. You're with Earth Matters, bringing you environment and social justice stories broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network across these First Nations lands that were never ceded. And now Alison Rose from the Environmental Defender's Office in conversation with First Nations woman Morawa Johnson and Lala Guchin. Such an amazing opportunity to have Lala and Morawa both on the call together to talk about the case, the sort of the groundbreaking sort of aspects of the case. And perhaps um, Lala, if you could sort of kick off by sharing uh, perhaps why you decided to become involved in the case and gave, you know, such an enormous contribution of evidence on the climate impacts and cultural impacts of climate change on your country. Okay. Well, as growing up on an island, we are, as a born and bred islander, I I saw these changes happening when I was young. And we thought it was like, oh, something different's going on. So then ended up, we get we got educated about it. It's like, oh yeah, this climate change, global warmings. Then we didn't know what was the cause of it. So as I grew older, I kept on tracking everything with my elderly parents because most my knowledge come from my, my parents, my elderly father and my mother. So I heard them saying, oh, it's not normal something's going on. So as I grew older, I knew, ah, like I found out that the one like main cause of climate change is coal. So I studied more about it. And then eventually as I got, like grew older, I was like, oh, one day I want to speak about it, but I, I, I just didn't know how to. And um, we were talking amongst our people, like saying all these different, you know, effects happening on the island, like affecting our season times. Those are our practices that we practice. We don't use technology to tell us what time to fish, what time to garden and stuff. All of it, it's cultural practices that's been, that's been passed on from our ancestors until now. And then all of a sudden, this case came up and um, I thought about it and I was like, maybe it's our time to like speak up. So I got myself involved and I said, I want to support the court case and give as much First Nation evidence like I know about my country 
and what are the effects on my country like happening right now. So that's how I get involved and I'm still pushing for it because like I'm, I live on a volcanic island. So it's one of five other volcanic islands in the Torres Strait. It's more to the east. And um, mine is a bit bigger, but our low-lying villages are being affected by um, climate change, like the sea level is rising. And our ancient fish trap that was built for thousands, God knows how many years, but it's been there since, I don't know, our ancestors been there. So we still use those fish traps. Now we can't use those because the, the sea level is rise, the tides are playing up. So that's some of our culture is dying off and because of this. So that's how I get involved and it, it makes me angry, the fact that people can do that and destroy other people's cultural practices. Everybody has our cultural practices and mine been affected more. Like right now, it, it's the season in a normal. So that's how I got involved in 2020 when um, Marawa contacted me and I said, well, this is my time to shine. And I spoke to my parents and I tried to get the young people. So most of my mob now are educated about it and they know what's the main cause of it. So we call it the geese, meaning the root of the problem. And yeah, that's how I got involved with the court, court case. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lala. Yeah, and it was incredible, like it's an incredible involvement. Just to sort of explain a little bit more, the judge um, was, you know, came out to Lala's country and took evidence on country and Lala's family, um, you know, we went out on boats and was very incredibly generous and we're very, you know, the court was very privileged to be taken out and shown a lot of the country and some of those impacts and firsthand and yeah I mean it was a very significant thing I think when people are you know see things for themselves and those things are like the impacts are explained to them by knowledge holders um, and the significance of that and how dire the situation is and you know it it is life-changing I think it's it's not something that you can see and feel or touch and not be moved and, and changed by that. And sometimes, you know, you really do need to be taken out of your frame, which is like a courtroom for, for lawyers and, and put straight into the place where the impacts are to really understand what's going on. Yeah, perhaps, Mara, would you be able to just sort of, I guess, explain a little bit about, you know, why you got involved and, and how you developed the, the case theory as well from the start? Oh, wow. That's a lot. Um, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, everybody, for having me on and acknowledging also Ali and Patricia and Annie Lala. So, yes. Well, so, as I said before, I'm a wordy person, but I also come from Wangan and Jagalingu country. I actually come from the eastern side, which is Wangan country, which is a part of the wordy dialect of the broader Birigaba nation, and then more to the west. I uh, I guess we're a joint claim group for native title purposes, but also a lot of our old people married in together, I think, at the point of, you know, frontier conflict and colonization on our land. And so we kind of all huddled together and that's how you get everybody descending from one side or from both sides of that country. And so just acknowledging that it's not directly 
my country, but it's my family, all of my mob, and as a as a council in my time as a um, spokesperson, we decided to move forward in unity and that regardless of what side of the country we came from could speak out because really it's a systematic problem that affects our people and you know we have the most beautiful country but unfortunately it's rich in high grade thermal coal and so um, for decades our people have been the sacrificed people everybody else has profited off of our loss and so really my training started with the Wangana Jagalingu Family Council and really standing up against the Adani Carmichael coal mine with my mob and it became very clear throughout eight years of our family council campaign and I guess the litigation track in challenging Adani that Queensland but particularly at at that time working with the Native Title Act which is a federal act the legislation in Australia just isn't up to standard in terms of human rights and also uh, First Nations rights the Native Title Act and a lot of legislation that specifically applies to First Nations people has been found to be racially discriminatory by international bodies such as the UN. And so I guess it starts all from there. And that, you know, we ran in my time with the family council over eight years, we ran six legal cases and we had grounds and our arguments were strong. But the way that the legislation is written, it facilitates certain outcomes. And those outcomes are never, I get, I guess, in the benefit of our people. And so I was contacted by one of the lawyers from EDO. You know, there's this Clive Palmer mega coal mine, which is like so much bigger than Adani, proposed also on Wagner Jagalingu country, you know, and initially asked me to be a witness. But really, I think this was a time to sort of shift my role and develop my own skills a little bit in terms of um advocating for First Nations rights within the Western legal system. We know that the legal system does isn't designed to work for us, but I think that where we can push it and challenge it um, against its own standards um, or, you know, bring in international standards, then I really want to be a part of that work. And so that's kind of what got me involved with the court case. And initially where the kind of the case redesign happened and where it shifted. So Originally, yes, youth verdict. We are a co-objector with the Box Alliance. And so we're one of the clients on the case uh, who took the case up. And we spent a lot of time talking about, okay, if environmental cases don't win and First Nations cases don't win, <laughs> what are we going to do? And so uh, what happened was, how can we use this tool, the Queensland Human Rights Act, to, I guess, run this court case in a way where we can level the playing field a little bit, where we can, our arguments can be heard and I guess more weight and value can give those arguments. And so we wanted to put really strong evidence forward and to make that evidence of climate change really strong. One, we had to go where climate change was happening, but also we had to make sure that the evidence didn't just just come from there, that the decision makers as well had to go and see firsthand the the places and the people that are impacted by the decisions that they make when they decide to approve a mining lease or decide to approve an environmental authority approval. And so Youth Verdict, we've come a long way from the initial filing of the case three years ago. And while we're not exclusively a First Nations organisation, we're mostly made up of 
younger women from all diverse backgrounds, but decided that, especially in the Australian context and with Australia's commitment to coal, which we believe is synonymous with the commitment to the colonial project and the maintenance of the colonial apparatus, we understand that the future that all younger generations, all young people stand to inherit really depends on uh, whether justice is realised by First Nations people or not. Because when First Nations people have decision-making power, agency and control over what happens on country, we have a safer and healthier climate for everybody. Did I answer the question? Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much. Thanks, Marawa. Marawa leads the First Nations program for Youth Verdict, talking about the win not to put a coal mine on the Bimblebox Nature Reserve This unpacking of the win in the courts that stopped Clive Palmer putting his coal mine on the Bimblebox Nature Reserve in Queensland will be continued in the next edition of Earth Matters. Find more Women's Climate Congress events at their website, womensclimatecongress.com. The climate science evidence in this case was prepared by the late Emeritus Professor Will Steffen who sadly passed away earlier this year. This online conversation was dedicated to his memory. You've been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Melbourne on Wiradjuri country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. And if you'd like to get in touch with Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page on Earth Matters 3CR Radio or follow us on Twitter at EarthMRadio. If you'd like to listen to or share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. The Earth Matters team will be back next week with more environmental and social justice stories from all over this beautiful blue planet. I'm Beck Horridge. And now, Ancient Calendars by Brad Barr, his Prada album.